Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. This was not a birthday gift to him, by the way, that I promised to preach. <laughs> uh, this is not, I just take a week off, okay? So uh, it just happens to fall like this. So uh, just know that this is not my birthday present to him. I got him something else, okay? Uh, so Galatians chapter 3. Now, our, we've been in Galatians for the past several weeks now. And uh, leading up into Galatians, I uh, just want to just re- do a quick recap with you. There's a, some false teachers that have come into the churches in Galatia, and they are spreading heresy within these churches, right? And basically what they're telling the Galatian churches is they're saying, people of Galatia, all right, you have started out in faith in Jesus Christ. You have started out believing in Jesus Christ, and that's great. That's good. These false teachers are telling that to these people in Galatia. That is a good thing, that you started out in faith in Jesus Christ, but... You have things that are uh, uh, in the covenant that in order to become the people of God, truly stay on that path to salvation, you have to be circumcised, you have to follow Jewish law, you have to follow Jewish ceremony, you have to follow uh, these feasts and everything like that for you actually to stay on the path to salvation. And the faith part, the faith part is good, but you have to do other things in order to stay on the path to salvation. And Paul says, he writes to the people of Galatians, he says, look. This is not how the gospel is. It's not like you, you, we, we have faith in Jesus Christ and we do something else to add to that faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we become the people of God and we are reconciled to God based on the work of Jesus Christ plus something else. That's Paul says to the people of Galatia, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. We are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so he's trying to correct this heresy uh, as he's writing. And he writes here, we looked at this last week, Galatians chapter 2. Just look up uh, at at the scripture a little bit. Galatians chapter 2, verse uh, 19 through 21. Just want to refresh our memory on this. It says this. I got to find it. Sorry, I've been looking at a different, preparing with a different Bible. This is why you prepare a sermon with the same Bible you're going to preach from, so it's on the same part of the page. Uh, All right, so Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, it says this "For, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who gave himself, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So he tells the Galatian people that. He's like, look, the, 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 the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ is what you need to get to God. And you died to yourself, and now Christ, the Spirit of Christ, lives in you. We're going to get to that today. So he's saying salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But then he continues on in chapter 3, verse 1. Let's take a look at it here. Let's just go right into it. He says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
You know, I've, I used to watch videos of, um, I don't know, I don't know if it was real or not, okay? I have a, you watching videos today, you have a, a, a trouble t- trying to tell what's real, what's not real, of these people being hypnotized. You ever seen videos or ever seen, like, accounts of people being hypnotized, right? And so I watched this one particular video of this guy being hypnotized, and the guy that was hypnotizing said, okay, now, I want you to pretend like you're from the planet Mars, like you are a Martian, and I'm going to talk to you, and you talk to me, and you pretend like you're a Martian. So he gets him to wake up, and, 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 and he's, he's asking questions, and, and the guy goes, like talking this Martian speak. Uh, and it, I would imagine that just, just somebody who just walks in the room at that point with that guy is like, this dude is crazy. Like, doesn't he see everyone around him? That is acting normal. He's not a Martian. Like, he's not from the planet Mars. But this guy was, I don't know, like I said, don't know if it was real or not. This guy legitimately thought that he was from the planet Mars based on this hypnotism or whatever it is. This is kind of the, 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 uh, the language that Paul is speaking here. He's, he's talking to the Galatians. He's like, look, who's bewitched you? Who's, who has you underneath their spell? Who, who has hypnotized you to believing that now that you've begun by grace through faith alone, who has hypnotized you to now believe that you have to go and you have to do works and you have to do certain things to get to God? Who's done that? Whenever I've came there, Paul's saying, whenever I came there, I preached to you. And I told you that Christ was crucified. I told you that you could not do it on your own. I told you that the only way that you could get to God was through Jesus Christ alone, period. And now you're going to turn away from that. Like you, you received it with joy. You received it with faith. But now you're going to turn away that, from that and try to, to earn God's salvation by what you do. And he says, you're foolish. You're, you're under a spell. You're bewitched. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in, in, in verses, in chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. Because Paul does some pretty amazing things here. He contrasts some things that we're going to look at in the text. So I want you to read with me. Everybody look at your Bibles. And I want you to read with me here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 to 5. Follow along as I read aloud. He says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of wor- uh, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. There's a couple of contrasts that he makes here. The first contrast I want you to look at is here in verse 2. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or did you receive the Spirit by the hearing with faith? So there's an implication here that Paul makes. Is there is a way that we do receive the Spirit. And there's a way that we don't receive the Spirit. Continuing on in verse, in verse 5, he says, uh, or in verse 3, my, my apologies, verse 3, he says, having begun in the Spirit, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
So he makes another contrast here. He's saying, not only did you, how did you start, but how are you continuing? Are you continuing in the flesh? Are you continuing by hearing with faith? And so we're going to look and spend the majority of our time looking at those contrasts uh, today. And so, but before we do that, we have to get the phrase, what does it mean? Look in verse 2 again. He says, he says uh, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit? We need to get the phrase down. What does it mean to receive the Spirit? What does it mean to receive the Spirit? And the reason that we need to spend a minute here is because there's conflicting views on this today. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? Do you receive Him sometime after you're saved? After you've come to it's a faith in Christ? Or do you receive Him at some other time? i got a few scriptures for you. And listen, I'm gonna, I've got a bunch of scriptures, so... I, ain't gonna, I don't have time for you to flip there. Just write them down, okay? And listen, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Paul writes this. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. All believers in the Corinthian church that Paul writes to, made to drink from one spirit. All of them made to drink from one spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. We'll be in Romans 8 a good bit today. Romans 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, Paul writes this to the Romans. He says, You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And I'm going to say that again. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So Paul's implying here, he's saying, look... Those who are not in Christ, obviously, don't have the Spirit of God. Now, to say that more positively, those who are in Christ, they have who? The Spirit of God dwelling in them, right? All who are in Christ have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so those who come to knowledge of, of Christ, the saving knowledge of Christ, are sealed, he says here in Ephesians, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean when Paul says here in Galatians that you've received the Holy Spirit? What is he talking about? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about believers. Who are those who have received the Holy Spirit? The believers. So when do here, here's the, the answer to the question. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? At the moment of rebirth. At the moment of regeneration. At the moment of salvation. That's when we receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul is clear about that in the letters that he writes. And even Jesus says in Nicodemus, to Nicodemus, remember that encounter in Nicodemus with the most famous verse in all of, in, in, in all of Scripture, John 3, 16? Well, a little bit later he says, uh, or a little bit before he says, uh, that which is born of flesh is, spirit, is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Why do you marvel that I tell you that you have to be born again? The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with all those who were born of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that rebirth happens, new birth happens, new spiritual birth happens through whom? The Spirit. And we, we have the Holy Spirit as Christians. So it, that, set that as the foundation because that's going to that's gonna really, really 
be the foundation of what we're going to get to here in a second, that all Christians have, have the Holy Spirit inside of them, right? Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Because it's great. So Paul says to the Galatians, he says, you were born again by what? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And the obvious answer here is the, the hearing of faith. You were born by the hearing of faith. Paul puts this in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. And going out of first, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, he says, look, this is, this is your salvation experience. If you believed in Christ, this is what you went through. This is what I went through. He says everybody before they came to Christ has a veil over their face. Not their physical face. But a veil over their spiritual eyes. Where Christ was uninteresting to you. It was boring to you. Maybe the church might have been interesting. Or maybe the way that the church loved each other might have been interesting. But Jesus Christ himself, boring. Right? You couldn't see him clearly because you had a veil over your face. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he lifts that veil to where you are able to see with your spiritual eyes the beauty, that, how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ is no longer boring and disinteresting to you. He is life and he is beauty. And he is all satisfying. And that is, the, that is what happened to you at the moment of regeneration. That which was once drab becomes oh, awe-inspiring. Christ. And who does that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that for us. See, we often think of being born again as having right standing with God. We often think of being a Christian as being justified before God, reconciled to God, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, right? We often think of Christianity as that. And praise God, amen, it is true. That is a big part of Christianity, but it's not enough. It's not enough. We are justified. We are made righteous before God. But being a Christian and being born again and being a believer not only means that you are in a right standing before God and not only means that you have new thoughts with new actions, but it means that the Spirit of Christ himself dwells inside of you. And that is great news for us. He dwells inside of us. And so Paul's saying to the Galatians here, he said, that's how you started. That's how you began. That's how you started out. Look at verse, uh, uh, at verse 2 with me again. Or verse uh, 3, I'm sorry. Having begun by the Spirit. Begun. You have begun by the Spirit. You have started your walk in the Spirit of God. And then he says, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So... How do we continue our walk with the Lord? We often think of salvation in, in, in three different parts, right? We think of salvation in the means of justification. And justification is when uh, you were declared righteous before God. It's when Christ sets his atoning work on your behalf. 
declared righteous before God. We think of salvation as in, in the second, second part of salvation is pretty much our life that we're living now. It's called sanctification. It's, it's being set apart, being made holy, uh, uh, be, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, all the same things. And that is a, a, a part of salvation. And then we, we have uh, at the end of the age, when Christ comes again, we will be in our glorified bodies and we will be, glor- uh, we'll be glorified and we will experience the part of salvation called glorification, right? But sometimes we, we think of salvation and we're like, uh, uh, well, it's just justification, just justification. But we have to look at sanctification. That is a part of our salvation. I, I, one, one of my old youth ministers, uh, sometimes, uh, I love being a youth minister. I love being a youth pastor uh, because sometimes I get to say like witty things that hopefully will stick with people for a while. But one, one youth pastor uh, that, uh, that I said, that uh, he had, had these phrases that he says, and you can ask any of the youth that are up there with me, uh, I have common phrases that I say, right? And so uh, this was one of his common phrases. The, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, God did not save us to sit, soak, and sour. He didn't save us to sit, soak, and sour. He saved us so that we would live life and that we would live it abundantly in him. That we wouldn't just be saved, turn around, and that's it. All the way to wait, wait until Christ comes again or till you get put in the ground. That's it. No. That's not salvation. In fact, that's indicative of a person who hasn't really experienced salvation. And so we talk about justification. We talk about the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul makes the argument here. He says, you've begun by the Spirit. Do you, do, do you, do you continue by the works of the law? If you've begun by the Spirit, do you continue your walk in sanctification by the works of the law? Or do you continue it by the hearing of faith? Now, we have to keep in mind what what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about specifically the Galatians following the law. He's talking about the Galatians being tempted to go back to the works, their own works, their own virtues, their own self-determination, their own self uh, moral acts, they're, they're tempted to do that. They're tempted to turn away from the faith. And some of them have started doing that. And Paul's saying, look, don't do that. So what's the difference? What does this have to do with us? Because I doubt that any of you, if I, if I had to put money on it, I doubt that any of you have been approached by Judaizers in the past few years, I, I, I would do a show of hands, but then I'm going to get the one or two that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have actually been encouraged to follow Jewish law in the past few years. So I doubt that most of us have been approached by Judaizers and said, oh, well, you got to follow Jewish law exactly before you're able to be with God, before you're able to continue onto this path of salvation. You have to follow Jewish law. I doubt that any of us have experienced that. So what does this look for, like for us here in the early 21st century, South Louisiana? What does this look like for us? Do we know or do we see people that say that faith is good, but in order to stay on the path to salvation, you have to do this? And if you don't do this, you, 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 you're not on the path of salvation. Do, do we see people like that? Now, before your mind jumps to our Roman Catholic friends down the road, 
because they need to read this passage. And I agree, they need to look at this passage and to see that justification and, and, and right relationship with God is not by the works of the law. It is by faith, by grace, through faith alone. And before we, our mind jumps quickly to them because baptisms, taking part in sacraments, all those things are additions. I think before we look so quickly at them, we need to look inwardly at ourselves. We need to look and see how we live our life, whether we're living by the flesh or whether we're living by the spirit. Is there even an expectation on us as Christians to live holy lives, set-apart lives? If you spend any time in the New Testament, the answer is automatically yes. There is an expectation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, Strive for peace with all people and strive for holiness, without which, without, without which the holiness... You won't see God. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. There's an expectation for us to work, an expectation for us to live holy lives, an expectation for us to be set apart and to be sanctified. Paul says himself, Roman, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says, look, I worked harder than anyone. I worked harder than all of them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul encourages us again. He says, and this is a very familiar passage to us. Jared likes to quote this one a lot. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But there's a catch here. There's, there's kind of a caveat to it. Because those scriptures that I just read, the 1 Corinthians passage and the Philippians passage, Paul says in, in the 1 Corinthians passage, he says, look, I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't me that worked. It was the grace of God that worked through me. In Philippians, he says, he says uh, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So who's doing the working? It's God, right? God is giving the grace to do the working. So I'm going to call on you, Christian, to examine your own life, to see whether or not your life is in step with the Spirit, to see if you're living through the Spirit or living through the flesh. There are three evidences. I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There are three evidences that, there are plenty more. Three evidences I want to give you this morning of a life that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. This is scriptural, scriptural evidence. You guys still with me? Amen? Yes. All right. The first evidence is this, that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you and that you're living through the Spirit is assurance. Assurance. Do I have assurance that God is my Father? Where do I get that from? Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Just look over, just flip a page. You can turn to this one. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Who's crying out within us? Let's look at those texts for a second. Just mull over those texts for a second. Who's crying out within us? Is it not the Holy Spirit? Is it because the Holy Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father? Have you ever been in that place in your life where you say, God, Father, Dad? You know, Judah Brokus knows this week. <laughs> That's a, that's a weird segue, right? <laughs> Let's talk about something serious. Oh, you know, my youngest son broke his nose this week. All right, so they're playing the floor is lava game. You ever, you ever play that before? Or you ever, you, you, don't lie. You know when you were a kid, you pretended the floor was lava. You set the pillows all throughout the floor. Well, they're playing the floor is lava inside. I'm like, don't play that inside. I don't want you jumping on the furniture. Go outside and play. So they're playing the floor is lava outside. And Isaac College out, floor is lava. And so Judah, my little four-year-old, runs and we, I've got, he's got this playhouse that I built him, sturdy playhouse that will, that will withstand any storm. All right, So he, he, he goes to jump on this playhouse, his, his foot missteps, and his nose, bam, lands on the corner of those steps. Breaks his nose, and he looked like crooked nose, little claymation type, type, type thing where you break the nose, and it looked nasty. But you know what the, the first thing he did was? He's running inside, and he's hollering, Daddy! Daddy! Mommy! Mommy! Daddy! And he's, he's, he's bleeding. You ever, you, ever, you ever did that before? With God? A circumstance in your life and you're running, Daddy! I need you. That's an assurance. Our heart cries out to that. That's a spirit crying out within you. Second. Assurance or a second evidence that the spirit is working in your life. We kill sin in our lives. That's a question you have to ask yourself. Do you hate sin? Do I hate sin? Do I actively make war against my sin? Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Told you it was going to be in Romans 8 a good bit. Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's saying by the Spirit we make war against the flesh. We make war against every unholy thing that is inside of us. Does sin inside of you disgust you? Do you hate it? Do you want to attack it? Do you want to make war against your sin? And sometimes we, we got to be honest and we got to say we get lazy or we get seared and our conscience gets seared and we say, well, I, I don't make war actively like I should. But when we do, that's the Spirit causing us to make war against sin. And He will within you. Third, this. Not only do we have assurance where we cry out, Abba, Father, and we make war against our sin. But the third evidence of that the Spirit is working in our lives is that we produce fruit. Just turn over a couple pages to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, and you can probably quote this with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. All these things... They look good. They're good fruits. They're fruits that the Spirit produces with inside of us. But here's a problem. You knew it was coming. 
Here's the problem. That each one of these that I just mentioned, each one of these signs that the Spirit is working in your life can be faked. It can be mimicked. Talk about false assurance for a second. I'm afraid that there are a lot of people in church, in churches all throughout, especially the United States, if we don't experience a great revival in our church. Brother Jerry, let's pray for revival throughout our churches, and I'm right there along with them. I'm afraid there's a lot of people in here who have been duped and self-deceived to thinking that they're following Christ when they're not. Just because they go, or just because they do this and this. Matthew chapter 7, a lot of those people will come up to the Lord on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? Like, we thought for sure that we were doing all this in your name. And the Lord says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Think about prosperity, gospel. Think about prosperity, preachers especially, they really believe the stuff that they're preaching. I believe a lot of them do. They believe that they're serving the kingdom of God. If they don't repent, they'll bust hell wide open because they have a wrong view of God. False assurance. We can have it. False killing of sin. How can we have that? Well, you see TED Talks and motivational speakers. How to overcome addiction in your life. How to how to, to, to overcome anger in your life, how to, how to overcome this sin or this sin in your life, and the people, non-Christians, giving these talks. Possible, right? How about this? False fruit. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of kind unbelievers. Nice people on earth. Kind, unbelievers, patient. Is this what Paul is dealing with here in the people of Galatia? Yeah. This is why. Because the Galatian people, by their works, by going to law, they think that they're doing good. They think that they're doing the right thing, and they think that they're doing the thing that will please God, but in reality, they're not. And this is what Paul is dealing with here in, in, in Galatia. And see, I fear... Much of what we see in our churches today, especially in our American churches, is a lot of mustering up of self-determination with a reliance on Judeo-Christian moral values. But But a lot of them don't care and don't give one flip about being dead to sin and alive to God. Teaching of morality, moralism, it kills. And this is kind of what Paul is fighting here. You do good enough. This is what the Judaizers are teaching. You do good enough. You do this. You do this. You please God. And Paul's saying, no. No. Look, I'm all for good, conservative, moral Christian values within our country. All for it. But moralism does not equal living by the Spirit. It doesn't. So how do we live by the Spirit? This would be a shame if I left you here, right? 
How do we live by the Spirit? And the answer is given in the, in the text in verse 5. Let's, let's, let's look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of law or by the hearing of faith? So how do we live by the Spirit? Answer, it's not the works of the law. And he asks a rhetorical question here. He says, but it's by the hearing with faith. Hearing what? Hearing what? This is where we're going to go to verses 6 through 9. All right, we're going to read this quick, okay? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He preaches the gospel to Abraham, saying, in you all nations will be blessed. Well, guess what that gospel is? That gospel is saying, one day, Abraham, one day, the seed is going to come through you. Your descendant will cause all nations to be able to come to me and to reconcile with me and to have a relationship with me. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the hearing of faith. How do we live by the Spirit? It's by the hearing of the gospel through faith. See, we can't think that the gospel is only sufficient for our beginning walks with God. Like we hear the gospel, we begin to walk with God, and then uh, we kind of move past it and we don't need it really anymore. Wrong. We need the gospel every day. Because the gospel is not only what starts us on the path, the gospel is what keeps us going on the path. The gospel is what keeps us sanctif- being sanctified is, and living righteous, living holy living. This is what the gospel does. The power of the gospel is for those who believe, present, for those who believe and continue to believe. So how does the gospel make me live a spirit-filled life? Because the gospel says I can't do it on my own. The gospel says that Christ has to do it for me, and there's nothing in and of myself that can get me to God. And even the good things that I do are rubbish, trash, they're garbage. So God had to become flesh, take on flesh, become a man, give his life so that I could get to him. And now, because I trust in him for salvation, his spirit lives inside of me and seals me into the day of redemption. When I hear this, I preach it to myself. And it produces something. Faith. Belief. Do you know why? Because I know I'm inadequate by myself. I know that if I strive, I'm failing. I have no hope. It's kind of like when you're, when you're, when you're, my, my eight year old goes out on the basketball court and he takes a half court shot. There ain't no way he's coming close to the goal. <laughs> no way at all. Cause he's little, he's scrawny and he ain't got much muscle in the basketball's big, right? Well, guess what? We're little, we're scrawny, we ain't got no shot. If we, if we, if we do it on our own, we ain't got a shot, we ain't got a hope. 
That's what the gospel says. Yeah, you, you don't. You ain't got a shot. That's why Christ had to do it for you. So I wake up every day, live that life, proclaim that, and say, I ain't got a shot, Lord. I'm depending on you today. <laughs> Everything I do is, is coming from you. It's got to. Every good that I do, it's got to come from you because it ain't coming from me. And that's how we live by the Spirit. That's how the gospel produces within us faith and belief. Because when we say, I can't do it, I depend on you. What we're saying is, I trust you to do it for me. I trust you to do whatever and through me. Not just for me, but through me. God uses me. Not by my own merit. So what is this hearing producing? And Paul gives the result of, uh, of hearing in the gospel. It produces faith, belief. What type of faith? As we move to the last part here. What type of faith does this produce in us? When we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we say that we're inadequate, when we say that we are depending on God for everything, what kind of faith does this produce in us? It's the type of faith that drives us to go to God and to cry out, Lord, I'm, I'm dependent. I look, I've, been, I've been crying. That, that, <laughs> it's something about studying a text for, to preach that helps you, that convicts you, and, and helps you to understand, to really get it. And I've been doing that all week. I've been going to God. I've, I'm dependent on you. Even, even, even before I come up here, I'm like, God, I'm dependent on you. The words that I say... They're not gonna. They're gonna fall on deaf ears. It might be a nice little, neat little history lesson or whatever, but unless the spirit is in it, it ain't gonna do nothing. I'm depending on you, Lord. Do your work. I just say that out loud and I pray it. It's the type of faith that trusts God that He will continue His work to the end. Both to will and to work within us. Both to put the desire in me to pursue holiness and the ability in me to pursue holiness. And it doesn't happen without the Spirit. Is it the type of faith, all right, and this is where we're getting practical here, okay? Is it the type of faith that sees Jesus as moderately important? Is it the type of faith that is pressed under rigid obligation and duty? That's, that's the Galatians here. Pressed under rigid obligation and duty. Faith fueled by religious ritual and right? No. That's not the type of faith. It's the type of faith that sees Jesus and experiences Jesus as all-satisfying, the all-satisfying source of my life. It's the type of faith that Paul shows in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, when he says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing, knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's the type of faith that sees Jesus as infinitely beautiful, infinitely valuable, 
Because God is most glorified in us when we are most thrilled in Jesus Christ and look at him with longing. Spirit-giving treasuring of Christ as supremely valuable in your life. Do do, Do you live like that? Do you have that? Because this does not happen without the Spirit. There's no way I could treasure Christ in this way without the Spirit. Bottom line, what is the difference between your work from the flesh, like moralistic type life, well, let me just have a little side note here, is that theology about the work of the Spirit in our life is not merely informative when it comes to us living holy. It's not like saying, it's not like saying, okay, well, you're a Christian now, and so the work of the Spirit in you, that's, that's why you're, you know, you have a bent to go toward morality. That's not necessarily the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit causes us to move past just simple moralistic efforts and depend on Him. This is the difference between working in the flesh and working in the Spirit. Sometimes, physically, it looks like the same result. I could go out there, stop at a stoplight, homeless person on the side of the road, uh, you know, I'm hungry, go get him a meal out of my flesh. I could do that. Or I could do that by the Spirit. Sometimes looks the same. But the difference is, is where do you go? Who do you depend on as your source of life? Are you going to God desperate for him to move in your life? Are you going to God desperate for him to work through you? Are you daily dying to yourself and dying to your own uh, thoughts and, 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 and your own um, uh, self-determination and your own uh, thoughts that you says, I can get to God by myself. I'm good. Like, I'm moral. I'm, a, I'm kind of a good person. I'm good. I'm a Christian, and this counts as my sanctification. Or are you desperately going to God? Are you crawling out of bed in the morning, parched, thirsty, to go to uh, the, the well and drink desperately from the well? Yearning for sustenance from the, from the source of a spirit-filled life. Is that, is that you? Does that describe you? And Paul says to these Galatians, look, you didn't begin this way. You began, you began by the Spirit. You began by yearning for Christ, treasuring Christ. But now, somehow, you veered off the path. And now you're more interested in doing good works to get to God. Now you're more interested in pleasing God with what, with what you do rather than going to God as the source for all that you do. And as we'll look like at next week, Jared's got the really good verses next week, talks about Christ becoming a curse for us and the foundation and the basis by which we can live this spirit-filled life. Church, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you as Christians to desperately seek the Lord, to cry out to Him, 
for your source of sanctification, for your source of being made more like Christ. And some of you might be in here this morning, I don't know, know, have a clue what you're talking about. I don't know. But this being satisfied with Jesus sounds kind of interesting. If that's you, come talk to us. We would love to help you flesh that out. For some of you, it's going to take some practical work of seeking the Lord and dying to yourself, dying to your own thoughts that you can do it in your own self-sufficiency and depend on Christ for that work. 